Well, thank you very much uh, for allowing me to be a part of the worship service this morning. I count it a high honor and privilege to stand where Pastor Aaron stands on a Sunday morning and delivers the word. I also want to say, say thank you for uh, your many years of uh, support of our ministry with Athletes in Action. Cindy and I are some of the old gray hairs now on the, on the mission board out there in the hallway. But uh, it's just been a, a pleasure to represent you uh, to the world of sports in the New York metropolitan area. And we, we're thankful to you for, for your help with that effort. <clears throat> Let's uh, open up in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this, uh, this moment that we've come to where we want to hear from your word, the scriptures. I pray, Father, that uh, you would speak clearly through me, that uh, I and everyone here would have ears to hear and eyes to see the truth of your word. Would you take this time now and uh, use it in each one of our lives uniquely? You know where each one of us is in our walks with you, in our relationship with you. And I pray that this, uh, this time together we would each move further down that road of our journey with you. So we give you this time now in, in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if my math is right, we've got about 38 hours left of 2018. Where did those... Where did that time go? Well, this is the customary time to reflect on how our lives have unfolded over the past year. It's a time to take inventory of the up and down swings of the year. It's a time we often evaluate the relational and financial balance sheets of our lives. A time to celebrate accomplished goals and analyze setbacks. We may jump on a scale or check ourselves in the mirror for any new facial wrinkles or perhaps congratulate ourselves for the promotion or thank God for the newborn or in the case of the Cybersons, the newborns or the new zip code we might be grateful for. But it's an appropriate time for some self-examination because it's at the end of a year and the beginning of a new one. Interestingly, this customary year-end review is a shadow of a future life-end review for each of us. However, there are two significant differences between a year-end review and our future life-end review. The first difference is that the life-end review only happens once and that when we have passed on from this life. The second difference is that Jesus Christ will be conducting the review, not ourselves. It's sobering enough to consider our mortality and the certainty that death faces us all. But it's potentially heart-stopping to imagine being in a life assessment moment with the CEO of the universe. 
It makes interviewing for a job or sitting through a performance review with your boss feel like a, a walk in the park. That we will experience life in review is one of the main themes that runs like a thread through the Bible. It's the idea that every person who has ever lived or whoever will live is slated for a performance review with Jesus. It's the notion that God is serious about life and about how we do it. Have you given this much thought? You don't want to walk into this appointment ill-prepared. Here's the verse I want to look at this morning to launch us into this theme of a life and review. It's found in Hebrews chapter 9. It simply reads this. It's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. If you remember nothing else of what I say this morning, I'm hoping you remember this main point, and it's simply this. We all have a life and review with Jesus in our cards. So let's be ready. We all have a life and review with Jesus in the cards. So let's be ready. Again, the verse reads simply, it is appointed for man to die once. And after that comes the judgment. I want to draw four points from this verse that will help prepare us for this life end review. The first point is simply, God knows the date of our appointment. God knows the date of that year end, I should say the life end, our life end review. In fact, he's already made the appointment. He just hasn't let us in on that detail of our lives. The first phrase of that verse reads, it is appointed for man to die once. And God keeps his appointments. Psalm 139 says this, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Did you catch that last phrase? All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. The Bible teaches that we will neither live one minute nor one minute more nor one minute less than what God has ordained for our lives. And I find comfort and peace in that truth. Life is not haphazard. It's not directionless. It's not out of control. God has set human history on a course and he's holding true to it. His story is unfolding. The role that I'm playing in that story had an enter stage left point back in 1954. And there's an exit stage right point for me as well. And that exit point is for God to know and for me to find out. And the same is true for you. 
So point one, God already knows the date when our life end review will take place. Second point, this verse holds God's sovereignty and man's responsibility in a beautiful tension. God's sovereignty is simply his rulership and authority over all of his creation. In other words, nothing happens, nothing happens unless God decides that it will happen. In this verse, God's sovereignty is highlighted in the fact that there is an appointed time that he has established for our departure from this life. Remember, it is appointed for man to die once. Paul adds to this idea of the sovereignty of God by telling us in Ephesians that God works out everything in conformity with his purpose. Read along as I read this verse. Paul says, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Did you hear that? God works out everything in conformity with his will. Not just our departure date. He works out everything, the Bible says, in conformity according to his will. Job, speaking to God, adds this. I know, he says, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. Job understood the sovereignty of God when he said, God, no plan of yours can be thwarted. On the other hand, the Bible makes it clear that we are not pawns in the hands of God and his deterministic universe. Every command of God in the Bible and every warning against disobedience indicates that God expects man to choose God's way and to take responsibility for his life. Nowhere does the Bible paint man as a mindless robot or a chess piece that God just simply pushes around the board. Man's responsibility is highlighted in in our verse by the phrase, after that, comes judgment. In many places, the Bible emphasizes that our lives will indeed be reviewed and will be held accountable for our decisions. In Matthew, Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. In Romans 14, Paul states, we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. So let me see if I've got this right. God works out everything to conform to his will, and none of his plans can be thwarted. Yet I am held responsible for the choices I make, even though none of my choices will thwart any of his plans. What happens in your life is exactly what he has determined will happen. Ken Boa, a Christian leader with a lot of letters after his name, put it this way. He said, God has revealed to us in the Bible that he not only created all things, but he also pre-planned everything that would happen in his creation. He both knows everything that has happened and everything that is yet to happen. 
He actively decreed every detail of this reality, and he is sovereign over all. But here is where the mystery comes in. Even though God is sovereign, man still has real responsibility and real freedom in the choices he makes. These choices are his. He cannot blame God for them, and they will genuinely affect and modify the rest of his life. God is determined and it is in control of every piece of my life and your life such that we cannot thwart or hinder his plan. Yet, he holds me accountable for decisions that will genuinely affect and modify my life. The truth of God's sovereignty running alongside of the truth of man's responsibility is one of the mysteries of our Christian faith. We'd be wise to hold these two truths in beautiful tension. Jesus demonstrated this tension when speaking about Judas Iscariot, the man who would betray him, said, For the Son of Man is to go just as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Do you catch the, that tension? Man's responsibility under God's sovereignty. Jesus said, for the Son of Man is to go just as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Being finite, there's no way that I can get my arms around an infinite God in his ways. I don't understand it. And thus I'm thrown on my knees to worship and to live in awe of God's sovereignty and his expectation that I take responsibility for my decisions. Point two then, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility are to be held in beautiful tension because that's how the writer of Hebrews holds them in that simple verse. But the third point I pull out of this verse is this, receiving a life end review adds value to our lives. Knowing that there's going to be a time when I will be held accountable for my life adds amazing value to my life. This simple verse tells me that the details of my life matter. My attitudes, my actions, my words, my thoughts all matter to God. The way I approach my responsibilities, the way I treat people, the stewardship of my gifts, my time, my treasure, all matter to God. Jesus, when I die, will evaluate my life. He may do it by asking me some questions. He may do it by playing a video of my life on a screen and making some comments. I'm hoping he'll just show a highlight film <laughs> rather than the full-length bloopers film. He might have some type of device that he hooks up to my arm like a blood pressure cuff and throw it and through it he downloads all of my life's files. The Bible doesn't give many details of how this life end review is going to go down. But I do know that my life and all that it involves is important enough to God that such that he wants to schedule a review. And I also know that I want to be ready for it. 
The last point, embracing Christ as the Lamb of God assures us of being ready for our life end review. Embracing Christ as our Lamb of God assures us of being ready for that year-end review. The verse that we're looking at is uh, tucked into a passage where the author is describing the work of Jesus on the cross. Hebrews 9, 26-28 reads this way, But he, meaning Christ, has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. You don't want to go into your life and review still responsible for your sin debt. Every man has accrued a sin debt by breaking God's law. And we are at the core of our being law breakers. The penalty or debt owed for breaking God's law, the Bible teaches, is death. I said a moment ago that you don't want to go into your life and review still responsible for your sin debt. You ask, to whom then do I give my sin debt? The answer, you give your sin debt to the Savior, Jesus Christ. Motivated by mercy, the Son of God became the Lamb of God and offered his sinless self up to die, to pay the sin debt that each of us deserves to pay. Jesus on the cross became the lawbreaker in our place. And then he experienced the death that lawbreakers deserve. I'm reminded of a story of a college student who was uh, caught doing 80 miles an hour in a 60 mile an hour speed zone. State trooper got him on radar, brought him to court the next day, and the college student sits before a judge, and the judge says, what is your plea, young man? And the college student looks over across the table at the state trooper who's there with the radar evidence, and he looks back at the judge, and he says, I'm guilty. And the judge slaps down the gavel, and he says, that'll be $100 or three days in jail. What's your choice? College, being, college student being a typical college student doesn't have $100 in his back pocket. And so he's ready to spend three days in jail with the bums, let's call them. But it just so turns out in this illustration that the judge is also the father of that college student. Now as the judge, he has to enforce the law, impose the penalty for breaking of the law, three days in jail or a hundred dollar fine. But as this young man's father, he takes off his robe, comes down from behind the bench, takes out his wallet, and offers his son a hundred dollars to pay the bailiff so he can go free. That's a picture of what God has done for us in Christ. We've broken the law. 
were deserving to pay the penalty. Yet God, out of his mercy and love, sent his son to die, to pay the $100 penalty for our sin. So that, like that college student, we could go, we could go free. That college student has a decision to make at that point. Do I receive that $100 from my dad, pay the bailiff and go free, or do I say, no thanks, I'll pay the penalty myself? In, in essence, saying, the sin that I've committed, I want to pay for. And that's the, uh, that's the decision every person has to make. Do I want to be responsible and take responsibility for my sin? Or do I allow what Jesus did for me and for the world, his death on the cross, do I allow that, do I allow him, do I allow him to be the sin bearer, to pay the sin debt that I deserve to pay? When I embrace Christ as my sin bearer, when I give him, in a sense, my penalty, the Bible says I am no longer under condemnation for my sin. Romans 8, 1, Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You want to be, as the Bible puts it, in Christ when you die. You want to have placed your sin on Christ before you have that life-end review. And a person moves to being in Christ when he recognizes himself as a sinner in need of forgiveness and turns his sin debt over to Jesus and receives him as his Savior and Lord. The story is told of a drawbridge operator. Perhaps you've heard this story. A man who operated a train trestle drawbridge over a body of water. His responsibility raised the drawbridge to allow the boats to go by, but to make sure the drawbridge was down and secure when the passenger trains or the freight trains would come across it. One day he took his eight-year-old son with him to work, and his son was having a blast helping his dad work the controls up in the tower but also having fun playing in the grassy area around the drawbridge. A boat whistle blew, and the operator opened the drawbridge to allow a sailboat to pass through. As the sailboat completed its passage through the drawbridge area, the uh, drawbridge operator heard the faint whistle of the noon passenger train due at that time, and so he knew he would have to work the drawbridge controls to lower the drawbridge. As he began to work those controls, lowering the drawbridge, he heard the cry of his son in trouble. And he saw that his son had fallen into the gear mechanism of the drawbridge. And this operator realized that he had a horrific decision to make. 
he had to decide whether he was going to stop lowering the drawbridge, sparing his son, but killing hundreds of passengers on that train because he would not be the, the bridge would not be down when it came through that area, or to lower the drawbridge, not sparing his son, but securing the bridge in place so that the train could pass safely over it. And in a moment of time that must have felt like an eternity, the operator made the decision and he lowered the drawbridge, hearing the cries of his dying son, but securing it in time so that that drawbridge, uh, so that the train passed safely over it. And while the train was passing over the bridge, scores of passengers on that train saw the drawbridge operator up in the tower and waved politely at him, smiled at him not being able to see his tear-soaked face, not knowing the tremendous price he had just paid for their safety. You know, for 17 years of my life, I was like a passenger on that train. I would smile and politely wave at God at times, growing up and in different church services and places like that. But I was ignorant of the tremendous price that had been paid for my safety. I was unaware of the sacrifice that, that, that God made by sending his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sin. And I wonder as you, as you think this through for yourself, if you find yourself in that place where you've you've not grappled, you've not embraced the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. The sacrifice that God the Father made when he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. You know, time doesn't allow us to go into great detail to describe how the life end review impacts the life of a believer. I'll summarize by saying this. As believers, in response to the mercy and grace we've experienced and continue to experience, we long to hear Jesus say to us at the end of that life end review, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Our sin debt being resolved, we live to have the quality of our lives tested and to, have, and to survive that test, as Paul talks about in Corinthians. We don't want our lives, the, the efforts of our lives, the review of our lives to end up with wood, hay, and stubble on the roster, on the ledger. What we want is a life where gold and silver would represent our lives, and where Jesus would say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. But it starts with wrestling with that sin debt issue. Have I embraced Christ as my Savior? 
Am I looking to him and to what he has done, his work on the cross, rather than his work plus something that I'm doing or just something that I'm doing that would put me in good standing with God? I, I implore you, don't trust your life's work. Don't trust the goodness in your heart to be to carry the weight of your sin's debt. Fall, at, fall on your knees before the God of the universe and receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And if you're already a Christian, carefully live this life filled with the Spirit, devoted to our Savior. Because we will all one day stand before God and give an account of our lives. And we do want Jesus to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Let's pray.